there's no other concerto that has this level of of uh, excitement and and energy. Uh, I can't think of another one, and it's uh, that's why the audiences love it, but the musicians love it too. You recorded it when you were what, 18? Oh gosh, I first recorded it when I was 20 years old. Uh, or 19, I don't remember, with, with Vladimir Ashkenazi in the Cleveland Orchestra. And then maybe 20 years later, I did it with the uh, Berlin Philharmonic and Michael Tilson Thomas. Um, so I've recorded it a couple of times. Both of them, I would like to be erased and I'd like to do it again. No. <laughs> because you, you keep growing with these pieces and you, and, and, uh, you feel, oh, now I know how it goes. You know? But uh, uh, yeah, so it is a piece I've lived with quite a lot. So I can get up there. Actually, the more you know it, the more in a way you feel free to even improvise in the moment because you know it so well. Um, and if you have a conductor that's sensitive in an orchestra that's listening, you feel you can, um, even in the moment, change things. And, and because this, this, this uh, is you know, very romantic music, uh, it's very free, but um, it also has so much more. You know, I think Tchaikovsky, people think of bombastic and, and romantic and, and hard on sleeve, which it has that, but it's also got a great elegance uh, Tchaikovsky loved Mozart, and Tchaikovsky was the great ballet composer, full of elegance and, and dance, and, and that's an element of this piece that I think needs to always be included. So you really hear things working with Manfred Honig that you have not heard before after <laughs> having played it a thousand times? Yeah, because he's, he's thought about it. Uh, you know, he doesn't just phone in the concerto. You know, sometimes you get con conductors that are very worried about their symphony on the second half and just kind of, oh yeah, we know the concerto, we'll do it, we'll run through it. But you know, he's thought about a lot of, lot of things. He had a lot of interesting ideas. Some we argued about, you know, so we said, and, and which is the fun part for me is, is kind of discussing, like chamber music, like, you know, being in a quartet rehearsal, you argue your point and you decide how you want to compromise or not compromise. And, and he's open to that and I love that. So, um, but I had, a, yeah, it's nice to work with someone that had some new, new thoughts about things. It was one of the things you did early on when he was here, what, 13 years ago. I think you did the Tchaikovsky Concerto. He'd only been here a couple seasons, and you did it with Maestro Hanek. Oh, that's right. That was a while ago. I've, yeah, that's, well, 13 <laughs> years is a long I time. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> but he's one that I really do enjoy uh, working with. And your experience here in Pittsburgh, so much over Andre Previn, and you did things with Sir Andrew Davis and Juan Homena and all kinds of our, our guests that you worked with, our music directors. It's a lot that you've done. Last year, uh, four seasons. That's true. That's true. I was here. Uh, this is one of the few places I came sort of still during the pandemic, sort of. You know, we, we were wearing masks and playing four seasons and... Um, and Pietzel and stuff like that. So yeah, I appreciate that the orchestra is, uh, you know, keeps giving me a chance to come <laughs> come back. Maybe until I get it right. I don't know. Um, no, but we have a nice relationship. I have many friends in the orchestra, as it happens when you've been in the business for forty. I think forty years. I've been touring now since I was fourteen years old. So so I have a lot of friends in the orchestra, and it's always fun to come back uh, and see them. Last time you were here, I think you managed to get in a round of golf with Christopher Wu. Yeah. He's pretty good. Even on the tour that the orchestra went on, he was in Germany playing some golf. Yeah, he's, he's, we, we were talking about it. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to be able to fit it in this time, um, but I'll definitely get to see him, and we're celebrating Meister Honig's birthday this week, and so we'll have a little some toasts to him. And uh, But it's a quick one. I'm, I'm only sad that it's one concert because I... I uh, you know, when you work hard, like as we did in the rehearsal, we really worked on a lot of details. You kind of want to do it more than once. Um, uh, but uh, still, I'm happy to be doing it. And 
excited to have the audience here you know after the pandemic it's it's i think there's a new a level from i felt in general um of from audiences a, a somehow a new appreciation for being there live and not just watching something online and, and you know i think uh, i'm hoping that the arts are, are getting a kick in, uh, of uh, sort of infusion of interest after the pandemic i think we're all appreciating the arts more than ever how did the tour go with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields? Well, I, this, I've been 10 years now music director of the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields, and this has been a whole, whole other uh, journey for me, which has uh, been an incredible learning experience, and I, I love that orchestra we, because I, I get to... It's, it's, it's exhausting. I was just doing the Tchaikovsky with them on tour, and uh, it's already a very athletic piece, but when you have to finish your... your Ten minutes without a without a single rest, and then turn around to the orchestra and conduct the tutis, and then turn back around and play the rest. There's not a second of uh, of rest, but so it's exhausting. And then to play, I have to direct the uh, Beethoven symphonies on the second half, you know. But for me, that's been an incredible experience, and um, it's carrying over now to I, I I get to on occasion come into orchestras and play and direct the whole program. You know, I did it this year in Philadelphia and Houston and others and. Um, so I'm, you know, I have a. Hopefully, I'll have a career when I'm 95, and maybe I don't want to play the violin anymore. You know, kind of easing my way into doing a little conducting as well. Of course. <laughs> and this trip was what a European component and Latin America. Yeah, this past trip was trip was uh, South America, and uh, then a couple of concerts in Italy. I guess not the best routing in the world. I just flew back two days ago from from Italy, and uh, now I'm already here. But um, I'm just happy to be touring again. How was South America? Things are chaotic down there with the economy. Well, I guess so, but um, our concerts down there in in uh, Brazil, apparently when they went online, they sold out two concerts in three hours, they told us. So, and these big halls, and they, they have a real enthusiasm for, for classical music. And it's when you play a Beethoven symphony or a Tchaikovsky concerto in South America, uh, in Brazil, or we were also in Colombia, it's like a rock concert, the way they re respond to classical music, and it's really, really very, very special. Um, compared to that, Italy is, was quite a bit more subdued. Their audiences are, um, are quite different um, comparatively, but um, it's fun to see the different audiences in different countries and how they react to, to classical music. What's your take on the state of classical music. We're always predicting that the audience is diminishing and that empty seats are more prevalent. Uh, we read Norman Lebrecht's column, he shows a picture of the Staatsoper with empty seats. I mean, what's really going on from your perspective? I will not comment on Norman Lebrecht's blog. Uh, he <laughs> I, he's, he's laid off me, thank goodness. He doesn't, he hasn't, he hasn't, as it uh, set me up for, for to be torn down as many, as much as other artists that I've seen, um, but uh, I think I've been predicting the end of classical music. I think since since before classical music existed, uh, I think it's it's um, the fact of the matter is there's a reason why it's called classical is that it's classic and doesn't it's relevant at every generation. It's like saying you know is Tolstoy's books are they ever gonna die, you know, are, are we never going to have a use for, for classic literature? Um, I don't know if it's even a good, good uh, analogy, but, but the point is it's relevant. And, and yes, audiences die, the old people die, who you think, oh, but I think it, it gets replaced with the younger generation because people, as you get older, you start looking for something more. I think um, 
in 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 music and everything you do you're looking for a, a depth and i think that's what classical music has to offer um and of course we all are trying to get more younger people into it too because you can i love seeing uh, i i found in south america and you go to asia you see a lot of young people in the in the in the concert halls and i would like to see more of that in in the states as well and some places it does happen um and it's exciting to see that because there's no reason why a, a, a you know 20 year old or 16 year old can't come and enjoy a classical music concert as much as and then the next night go to his their rock concert and enjoy you know enjoy them both because they're um uh, so i i might if you ask my opinion i think it's uh, i'm optimistic and and if we keep saying talking about the death of classical music people will start to believe it so let's stop stop even saying that look i'm with you totally <laughs> i've been at this a while at qed and the whole run there's always been this thing of is the audience drifting forward is the national endowment for the arts uh, uh, survey whatever uh, indicating that there isn't an audience for the arts generally and classical music specifically i don't believe it i, I don't believe it. it and and if you look at if you look at even when beethoven's symphonies were composed the orchestras that were playing them were semi-professional if not uh, there were very few like professional orchestras even in existence around that time. Um, you think of it, oh, the heyday of classical music when this great music was written. Uh, today we have look at how many big orchestras we have in the in the in the in, in the United States. There's so many. We look at how many string quartets we have. We have there are countless amount of string quartets that are making a living going going around and and playing concerts. And I think classical music is is. Is, is thriving still and uh, so so um, but there's still that we there's a responsibility for us how we present the music um, you know uh, the Tchaikovsky for instance you know I had someone come back after a concert the other day where I played Tchaikovsky and people had clapped actually given a big ovation after the first movement because not because of me it's because the piece is so the first movement ends so in such an exciting way, you have to pl applaud after it. And I and they said, "Were you bothered that the orchestra, that the audience did that?" And I said, "Oh my God, no! It's you know, I love it, and that's what one should do." And, and unfortunately, there some people are scared off when they come to a concert by conductors who turn around and and admonish the audience for clapping at the wrong time, or audience members who are more experienced, you know, and turning around and saying, "Shh," you know, like I think. That, that makes me sad because uh, we, when I hear some an audience, uh, it happened at the Hollywood Bowl recently, where they clapped in the middle of the performance because they liked a lick that I did, almost like a jazz concert. You know, some people started just clapping, and I loved it. You know, because it means that someone came to the concert that may not be a usual concert goer, but that's those are the people we want to get. And it's a connection. Yeah, and it's a connection. They're actually responding to the music. I love it. So it's. Um, I think we we need to dispel some of the things the the, the stigma that some people seem to uh, um, you know uh, have about classical music that it's in, in any way you see it in pop culture you know in sitcoms you know where the where the husband is is taken to an opera by his wife and he's watching the football game during it or falling asleep and it's it's like as if these sort of myths are sort of perpetuated that somehow classical music or opera is somehow supposed to be boring when in fact it can be the most exciting you know exciting experience with goosebumps and as exciting as anything you can ever go to so so um anyway that's enough of my rant bless you joshua bell for all the great work that you do for music we're behind you every day every every note <laughs> good luck this weekend nice talking with you always